Righto, uh, welcome back to the Maximum Cricket Podcast. My name is Matt Hunter and this is episode number 11. Famous number 11s, boys. Off the bat, I'm thinking John Alamu, Daniel Vittori. Anyone else that uh, gets to mind? Sort of the New Zealand marshmallow pad, Chris Martin would be a sort of real famous number 11. Yeah, Joan is obviously the first one that came to mind, but I don't mind that we change attack there, Jacko, and the good famous 11s. Uh, Glenn McGrath, pretty, uh, pretty famous 11. Nice, nice. Anyways, uh, so as you can uh, gather, the, the boys are back. We've got Jacko and Lugsy here. If you do enjoy this podcast and you want to support us, please do like, subscribe, rate and review. It helps cause. If you want to help us out even more, find us on patreon.com slash cricket. But in the meantime, sit back, grab yourself your favourite snack and enjoy some idiots talking about the game we act like we hate but really we love. It's a yes bank maximum, the first of this contest. Oh, that is brilliant. It's a hero maximum. On the ground, on the ground, another hero maximum. Lugsy and Jacko, welcome back. Tonight I'm running a wee boysenberry ripple block of chocolate. For a wee snack tonight. What have what have you guys got? I know Lugsy, you uh, you you have a few. Uh, Jacko, it is uh, the morning for you, so it's a little bit tough. <laughs> Quite a versatile. I mean, another staple breakfast, but also sort of well known in our circles as one of the great snacks. Just a couple of bits of Vegemite toast. It's just a lovely way to start the day. White bread, butter, bit of Vegemite, perfect. Real underrated snack there. Yeah, I've just obviously devoured devoured my classic Monday hashi. Nicely put along from uh, Emma, one of the crew that heads along, was uh, this beautiful Biscoff cheesecake. Really, really quite something. And, and even the cream that went with it was sort of a high-level cream. So, yeah, obviously not feeling the best at the moment. Stomach's feeling like it's going to explode, but, but good to go. Has anyone, anyone else had this uh, poisonberry uh, block of chocolate, the old Tip Top and oh, uh, Cabri one? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not even a big um, block of chocolate fan, but uh, this one just, just gets me going. Yeah, not a bad block at all. I had a bit of marble before as well. I'm still still enjoying a bit of marble, I have to say. Yeah. Marble, marble oh. is an all-time block. You know what they have to do is start bringing that boysenberry out in the smaller... I don't think they do it in the small block yet, do they? Uh, no, I think it's just this big one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. need it at that sort of 90-cent price point at Pack and Save. <laughs> um, and I'll obviously step right up to a few. You won't have a block, but you'll have four single bars. Oh, and look, I would never eat two pies, but I'll have 47 savouries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good, very good, boys. And uh, everything everything all good. Uh, Jacko, you, you mentioned the, your last week in uh, Scotland. You head into a, a Caps game, which would be nice. Yeah, yeah, hopefully get along to a couple of games, watch the boys, which would be good. So, nice week ground. They play the international games out here. So, yeah, no, it should be good. Funnily enough, they reckon it's quite, quite bumpy in Scotland starts. 15 runs up on their opposition because they know it's bumpy and the others don't. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, like it. it's interesting to see the cats at, at near 15. But um, yeah, hopefully they go well. So yeah, it'd be nice to see some, some international group while I'm here. Very good. And uh, I guess, you know, speaking of the cats, the squads have been named for the, uh, uh, the tour of West Indies coming up. And the big talking points, I guess, will be... All the big guns are back, uh, which is exciting preparation for the T20 World Cup. So I'll just list it here. We've got the, obviously Williamson, Allen, Conway, Guptill, Latham, Mitchell, Phillips, Bracewell, Nisham, Santner, Sodi, Bolt, Ferguson, Henry, and Tim Sally. So I've got a couple of talking points, but we can obviously go in any direction we want. So the big ones, obviously, Williamson, Conway, Bolt, Sally, back in, four big dogs. Nichols and Will Young out. 
more of a surprise than Duffy and Tickner out. And the other one is sort of Finnell and Stays. So those those are the sort of talking points I've got. Uh, Jacko, what did you what did you make of that squad? Probably very interesting on the squad with no probably no Henry Nichols in particular. I mean, he's been sort of a staple in that that one day side for for a few years now. It's probably that the crux of picking a, a team to do both the T20s and the one days because. I mean, the Caps haven't really sort of, they've sort of split those squads for the last few years. So I suppose crunch times happen and a, and a few players have missed out. But yeah, interesting call that they obviously see Finn Allen as, as quite a versatile option in the top. And then Daryl Mitchell is that sort of Swiss Army knife somewhere in that order. So a bit of a big call there. But um, yeah, obviously the lads just wanted to be Caribbean holiday and they're off for a few weeks in the Caribbean, which will be lovely. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Henry Nichols was the, the biggest name, the biggest sort of admission. And I'd read a wee um, interview with Gary Steed who basically reiterated what Jacko said there with um, they were looking at a team for both the T20s and the, the ODIs so I assume he's sort of still a big part of our plans in the ODI but they don't see him so much in the T20s but yeah I think good good to see the full strength side back probably getting to that time now where you've really got to we've got to focus in on our best sort of 11 or 12 and get our best side out there for this T20 World Cup so good good time to start picking our best side um, and as Jacko said, sort of we holiday in the Caribbean isn't too foul either. Yeah, that, that must have been a bit of a catalyst. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if these tours were like reversed, if the Caribbean one was first and the European one was uh, second, if these big dogs uh, still wanted to play the second half because, no, I'd you know, say that switched. <laughs> a, trip, a trip to the Caribbean must must be an absolute highlight for an international cricketer, surely. The first time I've been there since... 2014 or something, I think, is the first time we've been there. Is so, it? Yeah, yeah it does feel like a while. It's, it's a long time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that, I think I think you guys sort of pointed it out with the um, the fixtures being so condensed. I think yeah, Gary Stead said that there's yeah in two weeks' time they're playing like six games basically, like just back to back. So they obviously with the World Cup being so close, the T20 World Cup, they decide to put a, maybe a bit more emphasis on T20 skills, but also. It did feel like, with Nichols and Young going, it did feel like a, a shift in sort of the power game. Like they wanted, mm. they want guys that can clear the rug a bit more. Because I guess like Finn Allen, like it's one of those things, and it's it's the biggest cliche like that, that a commentator can say. But like he looks better than the average suggests. Because he certainly like there's just something. We, yeah, we all we all do like some like I've always been a big bugbear of that you know sometimes then, no it's an average you know that's that's yeah. what they are but this this time this time I kind of get what they're saying because he just he looks like someone that could just take the game away could win you a game of cricket by himself and they want to give him every opportunity to do that for New Zealand which I I do like. Yeah, Nichols is probably a bit unlucky. I thought the other thing was interesting is the bowlers. Like, obviously, Bolton's how they come in. Duffy and Tickner miss out, unfortunately. But I'm not sure we're sort of building the depth and fast bowling that we probably want. Because I don't know how many more years of Bolton's how we've got. You know, they're playing every format. They're not spring chickens anymore. You know, when they retire, are we ready to go? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think, obviously, this is probably the tour that starts that load up to the World Cup. So you've sort of got to look at that World Cup and go, this is, we're going to try and win that. This is, we obviously have these players that are going to do it. Um, so yeah, you've probably got to pick your best, best 11. I suppose that's what the tour that they're on at the moment has sort of been 
a little bit about is building those stocks up. But yeah, I think those those guys, your Duffy's, your Tickners, even the likes of that Ben Sears, going to have lots of opportunities sort of coming up if these schedules uh, stay the way they are and, and that sort of players are resting because of the bubble environment. So I think there's going to be opportunities for it. But yeah, I think just a couple of those, that next level guys will, will need to step up on a couple of those tours and prove that they are the sort of heir apparent to the Southern Bolt crown. Yeah, it is. It's actually, it's a good point. And it is a tough one of the, because obviously at this stage, we're still trying to win games. And when you're trying to win games, you've got to pick your best team. Um, So it is hard to get that balance right, though. These guys will go. And it's probably, you know, sooner than later that they are going to go. But at the moment, when you're talking a T20 World Cup, I think you've still got to pick your best side. and, And those guys are in that. Obviously, in the ODIs, I think that was probably, as we pointed out last, that was probably the, a bit of a disappointment. No one really stepped up in those Irish ODIs of the bowlers. Uh, Matt Henry done well. Yeah, it is it is a hard one. I see what you're saying. We are probably lacking that, that next sort of crop of, of young, fast bowlers. But as Jacko said, hopefully, um, as these schedules seem to, to be more and more cricket, they are going to start getting more and more chances. Yeah, that's it. And as well said, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, they've got to, they're going to try and win this World Cup if they can. They got very close last year, and uh, hopefully they can go one better. So just just looking forward, I guess if we kind of do a blanket review of the uh, Black Caps Ireland T Twenty series, because we we touched on the ODIs, and it was the same result here, three nil, but it was probably like a very like very good dominant performance from New Zealand and probably yeah. all three games, like particularly with the bat, definitely made up for the rugby, I, I thought. <laughs> uh, definitely. I can imagine there's a lot of a lot of uh, rugby fans all over the country feeling a lot better about just sport in general, uh, having you know, bet them 6-0 in, in white ball cricket. <laughs> we'll, we'll give up We'll give up a, a, a 2-1 home rugby result, I would have thought. But, you know, impressive. It's a, it's actually quite impressive because the T20 side does seem to be tracking well. We'll start with the batting lineup. That's probably the biggest question mark because you've got Williamson and Conway coming in. And the last batting lineup was Guptill, Allen, Cleaver, Phillips, Daryl Mitchell, Nishan, Bracewell at seven, and then Center at eight. So, uh, man of the series was Glenn Phillips. He scored about 150 odd runs in that. He was probably, he was obviously the best bat. Dane Cleaver's not in the squad, so he's going to miss out. So, my question is where does Williamson and Conway bat? Have you got room for two sort of, I guess, workers of the ball? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, Kane's probably got to come in about three, I think. Um, that's probably his best spot. I, I like when Kane opens in T20s personally. Um, I think there's mm. a spot for – he's just good enough to sort of strike at 120 without taking big risks. That's just a personal opinion. Uh, but I think he will bat at three. Maybe Conway at four, Phillips at five. And then you're sort of looking at a Nisham – Daryl and Santner two and Bracewell potentially three of those four filling out that that middle to lower order would probably be my estimate because I think Conway will probably keep by looking at that squad potentially so um, yeah I suppose that's that's probably how I see it it's probably going to be tough unlucky on even a Bracewell or a Daryl in that in that sort of setup or a Nisham or whoever's missing out but it's probably just going to be one of those all rounders with with Kane and. Conway at four and five, and then, uh, sorry, three and four, and then yeah, those that fireworks and bit of consistency out of Glenn Phillips at five. Yeah, I don't mind that with the the shout of Kane opening. Um, as you say, good enough player to still to still work it around, and especially in a run chase situation, seems to seems to time those very well every time. 
But yeah, I, I don't know. They're really going all in on Fennell, and there's still these Scottish games that might, you know, might still do something for a few of these players. Then it will be good to see him and and Gutfeld get a real chance to open and sort of do it consistently leading up to this World Cup. Obviously, the more cricket you play, the more sort of at home you start feeling. Till then, yeah, we'll go down to, to the middle order is where someone's going to have to miss out. For as we said, Bracewell probably overtook Phillips in that as Island ODIs. Um, but obviously Phillips has bounced back with some runs. Um, they sort of, as I said, they seem to be in there doing the same job, Phillips and Bracewell, with a few um, few overs of spin, but there might be room to fit them both in. It's going to, their middle order is where it's going to get congested, I guess, and, and someone's going to miss out. Probably going to depend. I think Jacko's probably right. Williamson's probably going to be at three. I, I would be interested to see where Conway bats, because if I'm looking at this batting lineup now, if they had Conway... Opening the batting instead of Finn Allen. And then you had Guptill, Conway, Williamson. Then you had Phillips at four, Mitchell five, Nisham six, Bracewell at seven. That gives you a lot of power from four mm. down. Like a lot of guys that can clear the rope. And I just wonder if, if that's the way the game's heading. Unless unless someone like Phil Allen takes the game away and scores a lot of runs where he becomes undroppable. And I yeah. think I think they're giving him. They might give him that opportunity because the best version of Finn Allen could be like he, he could take like he could take the World Cup on by storm. So, but I do think like if Conway opens, like he did that in the IPL, it's going to give him the best chance to score a lot of runs. You know, I think he's like Bubba as um sort of potential, um le- like levels. So and then and if they don't, if he bats four, then essentially Phillips, Mitchell, Nisham, Bracewell, one of them will miss out. And it might depend on turn or what the pitch does. You might want the extra spinner of Bracewell. You might want the extra seamer of Nisham. I don't know. But all those guys deserve it. And it'll be interesting to see where they go. Conway opening is, is definitely a great point. I mean, if he's done it in the IPL, I mean, Finn Allen, not the sort of tested commodity at international level yet, so... He sort of might be there just as that builder's experience and, and be that batting cover. But, I mean, Conway opening, sort of similar position to Williamson. He's just good enough to score a lot of runs, especially with the field up, isn't he? I think, as, as you said, Munter, it, and the game is heading in that power direction, and especially the, the T20s. When you're thinking, you really want to pick a team and look at the team and think, how many of these guys can score a quick 80 or 100 and win the game? And you, you sort of want four or five in your top seven to be able to do that. And you just hope one or two to come off every game. So, I mean, your depth in batting doesn't need to be necessarily strong. You just need players who can take the game away just for one innings. That's sometimes that's all it takes in the T Twenty. Yeah, there's different there's different approaches. Like uh, India, sort of India and England are probably the two best teams, and they have a similar approach where they have sort of eight batsmen, and they all just go nuts. Yeah, and they just sort of. They go, they're of the opinion that it's just hard to bowl a team out in 20 overs. So one of them, like two or three of them are going to come off. That's sort of the theory. Yeah. Um, it's hard if, you, if you've got too many guys that work it around, soaking up balls, that plan doesn't kind of work. So it will be interesting to see where we go. Because obviously, I mean, it's not like our tactic hasn't worked. Like We did get to the World Cup final. So it's not like we're not playing well. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. Quite looking forward to the Western East Tour, actually. It's a, it's a fun uh, fun place to tour, like just from some of their teams growing up that were so strong. So I'm looking forward to a wee West Indies tour. 
Yeah, I think it's on a nice time as well. Yeah, uh, it is. It might yeah. be like sort of mid mid morning in New Zealand, which is quite nice. It's yeah, a bit better than this uh this Irish stuff. Yeah. yeah. West Indies are not a nice sort of litmus test as well, I reckon. They always sort of T twenty cricket coming into World Cups, they're always that dark horse contender. So it's actually probably a nice little measuring stick for the boys. This would be quite good, especially for the bowlers, I think. You know, that's a team obviously West Indies have a lot of power. More than most, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, so if boys get it wrong, you know, we'll be going for a few, that's for sure. Bit of a rejig in the order. I'm going to go into out and not out because we're going to have an extended coach corner uh, at the end. Obviously, you, you know, you have to live under a rock to not realise that there was a, uh, a record broken over the week. A, a fellow by the name of Sam Northeast made 410 not out, four, yeah, 410 not out of 450 rocks. Uh, I believe the first time since someone had passed 400 since Brian Lara, of all people, ironically. Now, my question is, they actually won that game, which is quite cool. They actually won that game, which is, well, kind of cool. But my question for you guys is, should he have continued on to try and break Brian Lara's 501, or were they right in declaring and going for the win. Now I've got a there's a case. There's a case here. So obviously the pro for declaring is that gives them a chance to win and all that sort of stuff. And they did win the game, which is quite cool. But in about five, ten years, or about to, or maybe tomorrow, <laughs> how many people are gonna remember how many runs that guy got, or are they gonna remember the result of that match? And now is that a missed opportunity? In my book, so I'll, uh, I'll I'll leave that up to you guys because this could go in any direction, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, hindsight, them winning the game is always going to sort of confirm it was the right decision from a cricketing sense. Uh, but just from that chance at five hundred, oh, it's tough not to, I guess, think about giving that bloke a chance. Um, interesting that that team sort of rolled over because there was about a thousand runs for sort of. <laughs> 12 wickets and then they've been out for 190. So that doesn't I mean, make sense, eh? Nah, all things all things are sort of pointing for a draw and a sort of oh well we've got like an afternoon to bowl them out, we might as well give it a crack, sort of thing. Their captain probably, if he's honest, didn't see them winning that game. He just thought we'll we'll have a chance. But yeah, I mean, oh it's tough. It's tough looking there because I mean four hundred's a long way to get to to not have a crack at five hundred. Um, That's and I mean, you could have said just start swinging, and if you get out, we'll try bowl them out, sort of thing. But yeah, quite interesting. The man himself, who he said he was more nervous on one ninety than three ninety, which is probably something else to unpack. Um, <laughs> I can't. No, yeah. not a lot of people can relate to that. To be fair, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's <laughs> never scored a, never scored a double hundred, so he's pretty nervous for that. But obviously, three ninety. Uh, well, he did, he did go. He did go to with a, with a six. Um, yes, long sweet. He's even come out and said, like, the shot he played to score is 400 was ridiculous. It's like, yeah, come on, mate, you're on 400. Like, everything's ridiculous at that point. Did he like drop him at all? I, heard, I think I might have heard that he got dropped in, like, the 90s, like, just, just the, the, the normal 90s. And you'd think, like, oh, you know, if you, he gets dropped in the 90s, you might sort of. Oh, he might get a hundred, and that's it. But no, no, no. Chalk him up for another three hundred. Um, the poor bloke at the other end was about one ninety five. Not wasn't he? Did he get the chance to two hundred? Or 
Did they uh, just declare? Actually, actually, I'm I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the scorecard here. One ninety one, not out. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a ruthless bit, captain, yeah. is what I'm starting to see. Well, <laughs> I, I did, I did read that. Um, I think it might have been lunch or whatever, and then they, the coach gave him the option. They said, "You can go for five hundred, or you can, we can declare and go for the win." Like, what? What's the guy oh, supposed to say? What's he yeah, supposed that, to say? Like, <laughs> one of those things where he's, he's going to have to say, "Let's go for the win, boys." But he is, he's lived. Yeah, he's he needs, got it. That's where, that's where, as a coach, you need to go up to the guy and say, "We're going to give you the chance to go for this, so just go," because you can't yeah. let a batsman make that decision. That's that's not on. They needed a lie detector. Eh? Just yeah. oh, <laughs> they're just like because my sort of argument, you kind of like you said, the batsman is gonna he's gonna make that call because he doesn't want to seem like you know uh, arrogant or whatever, like even though he probably is, and. But he needed that decision taken out of his hands because it's one of those things. It's like Chamberlain's hundred. Like people, I don't. People don't remember who won that game or what the score was, and they don't remember that that people that his team were like fouling opposition so that they could get extra possessions, and it was like really manufactured, and it was it wasn't quite in the flow of the game. And it's kind of it would have been kind of similar if they just kept batting and he was getting five hundred, and the, the bowling team had to. Bowl the keeper and things like that. No one would have remembered that. Yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd be livid if I was 35 not out and we declared that I had the chance to get a 50. So I can, <laughs> I can only imagine how you'd feel when you're 400 not. Although, in saying that, maybe it was just completely over it by that stage. Yeah, must be tired. Yeah, you just, I mean, a couple of those shots, they were just, it looked like he was just swinging anyway. So maybe he thought, bugger this. I'll just take 400 not and call it a day. Well, it's 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 quite an outrageous sort of scorecard I'm looking at here. So obviously, you got Leicestershire made five eighty four, and then and then Glamorgan are two down for nine and all sorts of trouble. And this and Northeast walks in, and then him and Colin Ingram put on about three hundred. Yeah. And then <laughs> poor this guy called Carlson and and Billy Root, uh, Joe Root's brother. So Carlson gets a gets nine. He misses out on what he thinks is a row, and then. Billy Root, who's probably – he must have been padded up, like, I would say, looking at this, about 90 overs, so like a day, yeah. just to get it, just to get a first baller. <laughs> yeah, that does sting. And then you're yeah. thinking you – might, you might be thinking, oh, you know, the pitch might be breaking up a little bit. No, no, Chris Cook comes in, and he gets 191 not out. So – Do you reckon Cookie uh, got the word as well? Like, do you want to go for your double 100, or should we declare I mean that's pretty close. You're pretty close. Like you're, you're damn only close. Not, It's two hits. That's, yeah, you t- that's... two overs. You surely, you surely give him two overs to get to his double hundred. You can do it in one. The only, um, the only problem I think with this sort of thing is, what if you give the guy two overs to get to two hundred and he's at one ninety seven? Then you've got to go. Yeah. I guess we've got to give him another over. Wow. I tell you and what, what if he only takes one off that over, and suddenly you're ten overs later, and the poor bloke yeah. can't get there, but you can't declare. Well, no. I I did have a yarn. There was a uh, there was a fella, and I won't name I won't name names because a lot of people will know. Him, but uh, he it was in that declaration cricket when you when it's like uh, there's 110 overs in the day, and you, and this guy he, he hasn't scored a lot of runs for for our team. For any team, really, but uh, he happened to—he was on sort of eighty odd, and we gave him. We said, "Oh, you know, we'll give you three overs or five overs. We're going to declare, you know." 
five overs had gone past and he scored another five runs. Yeah. And he's on like like he's on like eight like eighty six. And I said, oh, we said, mate, you got one. We got one over. This is this is you're not even trying. You're just yeah, this is you're noodling, you're noodling it around. <laughs> This is bad, and you know, and he hold out probably the next in the next two balls. So there you go. Um, was he furious that you guys were pushing him, or? Uh, I felt like we gave him a lot of time. Like it's yeah. sort of like it's not like if he was if they if they're having a go, yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's one thing. But like they're just sort of scratching. Like he could have noodled his way to a more well made hundred from what I'm hearing, though. So you've cost him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he could have. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, I mean, how, I mean, how, this is all going to depend on how close to that automatic declaration at sixty overs we were. Like, is it fifty-eight overs, and you just gone, "No, we need two extra overers," or we just, oh, yeah, we're talking about like the point. if we're in like the, if we're in like the forty-second over, probably actually, all good to pull pin on him. But I mean, if it's over fifty-eight and you've got to do <laughs> overs later, actually, I might probably got to give it to him. I might have got that wrong. Actually, it might have been not automatic declaration. I think we might have been yeah. like sixty. 63, 64 overs into it. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Something like that. It was, um, um, it was unpopular, unpopular opinion from what I gather, but I actually I enjoyed declaration cricket. Yeah. I thought it was good. It, uh, it wasn't for me. I just felt like we were playing one day cricket. We were still playing one day cricket. Yeah. But it was, I, uh, the argument I had for it is I, the bowlers could bowl more. So I thought the standard actually just went up a bit. The better bowlers could just bowl more overs. That was the only yes. reason I liked it. Oh yeah, I mean we're playing. You're playing with a red ball, and, and it was moving around a bit more. So that was it was good in that respect. Uh, very good. So are we? Uh, so what's our contention? Are we in or out on the uh, going for five hundred? I think we're. I think we're out on the the coach giving him the option. Yeah. Um, it should have just always been the coach should have made the decision for him, but. Yeah, I think not out on declaring. You've got to let him have a crack at that, surely. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably like, like right as of now, it's hard to say that it was the wrong decision. But I reckon when we look back at this down the line, it's going to feel like the wrong decision. Well, what I mean, in your heart of hearts, if your captain gave you the call, you're you're going to say let's declare, but you know you want to bet on. You want someone to do it. You want someone to take yeah. that, that, like, take the heat for you. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no way once they're celebrating that game, he's, he hasn't said a few words of, could have gave me a chance here, boys. <laughs> Starting today, you will play like winners, act like winners, and most importantly, you will be winners. If you listen and learn, you will win basketball games. And gentlemen, winning in here is the key to winning out there. Let's move on to an extended uh, coach corner. Yeah, if you do want to question readouts, uh, hit us up at maximcricket21 at gmail.com or a DM on Insta will do the trick. Or every now and then I will post on the uh, story for a couple of uh, questions. And we got a few this week, so we thought we'd do an extended one. We'll, we'll definitely do two and we'll see how we go for, for time. So this is sort of a, uh, it's, there's been a few stories about this one, but uh, this particular question, so I thought we'll tackle this one. The question is, is test or ODI format going to a downfall? So I guess this is in light of the Ben Stokes retiring from ODI cricket, as well as South Africa pulling out of um, the Australian ODIs 
in January so they can um, make sure they have all their players for their own domestic T20 competition. I guess guess that's sort of their answer in the nutshell. I think ODIs are probably under the pump more. I think with, with Test cricket, you've got more of a history behind the game. And I think the players and the, and the, the coaches and the administrators, they love the Test cricket more than any other format. Um, I guess the only, I guess one of the arguments for ODIs is the ODI World Cup is arguably yeah. the biggest trophy in the game. So you, you probably have to struggle just to get rid of ODIs. Yeah, I think sort of, you sort of hinted at it there, but I think basically Test cricket's always going to be there for probably the main reason that players view it as the pinnacle of the game. Um, so every sort of professional cricketer, everyone I've sort of been around, like Red Bull cricket's where you want to make your your name. Uh, so in that, that sort of sense, I don't think Test cricket's going to go anywhere purely because the players are going to drive it so heavily because that's what they believe is the sort of their their biggest goal in cricket. The Aussies always talk about using that baggy green, like the Ashes are huge. Like that's just sort of the pinnacle for the players. And then, I mean, the money in T20 cricket is sort of how the game survives. Uh, so, yeah, as, as you sort of said there, that one-day cricket, I mean, maybe the one-day just tours are going to have a bit of a downfall. But, yeah, I think the World Cup's still going to happen. Um, it might come around to that, oh, it's a, it's a World Cup year. We play more one-day cricket. Um, but in, in general, I think if one of them was to go, I think it's one-day cricket. I saw Usman Khawaja was interviewed and he said he, he actually finds one-day cricket a bit boring to watch outside of the Cricket World Cup, which is which was very interesting. Um, but, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, Test cricket's going to stay. T20 cricket's going to, I mean, keep the game alive, so... Yeah, if, if one's going to go, it will be one-day cricket, unfortunately. But, I mean, as you said, the World Cup's still a huge, huge event. It's the biggest tournament in cricket currently. So, yeah, it's hard to see them, hard to see it actually going because it is such a big part of the game. Um, but that's probably my take on it. Yeah, I think you've basically summed up every point there. I think the allure to, uh, to, to one-day cricket is going to be that World Cup. It's also probably the format where you get the more, that in T20s obviously, is where you get the more countries involved. So that's one thing that obviously the Test cricket doesn't have. It is interesting though because Test cricket's the one that people always talk about as being on the on the chopping block. It's um, Obviously for cricketers itself, it's the, it's the pinnacle. But I think for fans or, or for the casual fans anyway, um, it's always the one that gets talked about as, as being too boring and not for the... For the sort of the way the world's going, the the fast paced world, so that's always the one that gets talked about is is actually going. So it's interesting now this one day is getting talked about. It is interesting though because there's not many sports where there would be three full formats that actually get played like this. So it mm. is an interesting dynamic there. Like you talk about this rugby and rugby has its sevens, but that is completely separated. Um, like with cricket, you've obviously got a lot of players who play all three formats. Um, and as the demand goes up and these TV deals go up and more games get scheduled, it's probably is going to be players that say, you know, we can't play all this. And, and that's when I think, as, as shown by Stokes, is where ODI cricket's going to be that one that misses out. It's going to be interesting because, yeah, yeah, about the all these players playing all three formats because it does feel like that's that number is going to become less and less. I think 
in New Zealand, it's probably it's probably more likely because we play less cricket, and also we don't pay as much as other boards. So, like we, they kind of have to play all these uh, all these games. Whereas, like England, I was listening to Sky Sports the other day, and it's it's only Johnny Bairso that plays all three formats. Yeah. Um. Now, just quite, it's actually quite crazy to think that. They've only got one player that does that now, um, and the, the schedule is probably down to the schedule because you've got you've got this push and pull between international cricket and franchise cricket, and it doesn't look like the franchise cricket's going anywhere. In fact, it's probably extending further. Like just on that South Africa T Twenty League is basically fully backed by the IPL. Like all the, they've got six franchises, and they're all owned by the IPL. And I do wonder if this will keep happening if more leagues. I think there's another league in UAE where they're going to have like nine international players in one team instead of four. Um, yeah. And that that's all IPL backed. And I do wonder if the IPL is just going to reach its tentacles out into the whole year and then players are going to have to make these decisions. Do I want to play for less money for my country or do I want to play do I want to, I can only earn money for so long. Do I want to do it just playing these two twenty legs, and it's going to be interesting to see where that goes because it it does feel like we're heading towards a a football model where you've got like windows for international legs, not windows for the IPL, windows for like test matches and um, World Cups and things like that. Um, so it's it's an interesting time because the boards are just sort of cramming as much. 50 over in 2020, uh, 2020s as they can just to make some money. And I, it's interesting that what you said, Jacko, about Usman suggesting it's sort of boring outside of – yeah, boring outside of a World Cup. I, I kind of agree a little bit. I just feel like I just feel like these games don't mean anything unless, unless it's like in your country um, and a team's touring for a big tour. These sort of like random tours don't sort of mean a hell of a lot. Um, they'll just go somewhere. They'll play – a few cash grabs, sort of T20s and 50 over games, and then they'll go somewhere else and do the same. And you just wonder what it all, what what what's it all for? Whereas sort of Test cricket, there's there's drama every day. There's a story, there's a storyline every day um, over a series, over an Ashes, or something like that. Whereas you just don't get that as much uh, with sort of bilateral white ball cricket. And I suppose as well, like. They will cups. So we've got double T Twenty World Cups in between. So it's like, in terms of like, you're looking at what's coming up. Have to be like, oh, this this one day series matters heaps because the World Cups ages away. So you sort of like, oh, well, we're not actually getting a gauge of where the, the teams at. There's no like, there's no current excitement for the one day World Cup. It's like, what's that T Twenty one that's looming? So yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. And I think we've where, where, where cricket's going. That ICC Future Tours plan. As you said, it's packed with franchise cricket. So, I mean, it could just be a, a test window twice a year and you play a couple of series there where you can and then, yeah, it's just franchise cricket year-round. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liken it a bit to the NBA regular season, I guess. They've sort of, because the players have somewhat leading this of when basketball where they the playoffs are really all that matters now. So I think that's... I guess in a way that's somewhat what the what these ODI feels like, but they're all sort of they're just testing grounds to get you find your best team, and then you just really rally for that World Cup. 
So the game, the sort of the results aren't mattering as much as as just finding who's your best eleven come for for that World Cup. So I liken it about that way. I think, as you said about T twenties, I think we're probably not far away in a few years where you're going to see a young player pick twenty twenties over the country and just be a, a full time T twenty player. I think we will see that in the near future. Well, it's a good point because, um, like, we we sort of talk about like Test cricket being the pinnacle and that sort of stuff, and for the players and and the coaches and stuff, and that's that's all true now. But you do wonder as as this generate because I feel like that's what we grew up with. as that generation phases out. Like you said, Simon, will, will that will that same love and desire for Test cricket be there? I, I, I'm not too sure. Um, I guess that's that's what we'll find out. They will all survive. It's it may change. It may change where ODIs. You know, there is just three teams: there's Test teams, ODI teams, and, and 2020 teams. And maybe the ODI teams will be sort of your weaker eleven, but that might be just how it goes. But they'll still have dates to fulfil. So I think the games will all survive. But for now, anyway. Well, yes, that sucks. I think they're they're just scheduling these stuff because the boards need the money. So yeah, yeah. whether the, whether it's a whether they have. It's probably like, like you said, Simon, the NBA, where the, the the owners need the money. They don't necessarily care if all the players are playing. Um, they just need the the games played, so yeah, yeah, so that they can still make that money. We'll uh, we'll move on to our next and next question. This is probably more. This is more, uh, I guess, technical stuff. Um, we've got a fella here. How do I improve the way I play pace? There's a few levels to this, and we'll um. First of all, I reckon, like short term, you've got to fake it till you make it. Um, and what I mean by that is, if you're already worried about playing pace, once a fast bowler knows that the the batsman can't can't handle the pace, um, they're already one 0 up. Um, and we've got Jack. I might I might hand this 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 the start of this to you as a as a as a fast bowler. What's it like when you know? The, the batsman just can't handle you. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because you you sort of stand there and you just think, you, you sort of see a few cues. It's sort of, for me, it's normally the back foot. Its first action is towards the uh, the umpire, the squarely umpire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that and you get a good idea. Um I mean, guys standing outside leg stumps always a funny one. Um, just trying to is, access, uh, just yeah. trying to access the offside. Yeah, trying to, yeah, you know, notoriously the easiest place to play on a good length outside your off stump. Just get more access to that. Um, <laughs> no, it, it is an interesting one because you do have that. Right, I know I can bowl, bowl, bowl quick here and, and just try clean them up, but still, most guys are good enough to sort of keep it off their poles. Yeah, I mean, if it's coming from a young lad, it's, it's probably going to be different because in age group cricket, there's always going to be a guy that grows first and he is probably a lot quicker than, than guys can actually handle sometimes. Mm. Um, but yeah, as you said, I think it's like, it's fake it till you make it. Like, you've got to have that body language right because if you're telling your body, like if you're reading your body as it's scared, you're going to react in that manner. Whereas if you can just be like, sort of flip it on its head and be like, this guy's bowling quick. This is going to be a good challenge, and and sort of get excited for that challenge of facing facing quick bowlers. Then you're probably gonna you're gonna turn it your mindset around, um, which is then going to make it easier. Um, and I mean, if you're a young nipper, the other option is 
get the slang as fast as you can and just get used to it. That was sort of where I was heading. So I guess like when you got short term stuff is if if I'm if I'm batting and like I and a bowler's noticeably too quick for me, I can't. You can't let them know first of all that they're too yeah. quick for you. You can't sort of you know um, body language is key. And the other thing is I, I found is sort of shortening shortening your back lift so you like actually because you. Well, the ball's faster, so you don't actually have to hit it very hard. You just got to basically sort of guide it through the slips for four, um, as many times as you can, um, <laughs> and and deal with as much abuse as you can until you go out. Um, but I guess short term training wise is generally if you're if you can't handle the pace, you're probably scared of the short ball. Um, so what you want to what you want to do is how to handle short the short stuff first and foremost. So you don't necessarily have to be Ricky Ponting pulling it because the guy's too quick. So you don't really, but you want to be able to be comfortable ducking, uh, getting back and across, working off, working off your ribs down for one, get off strike just so that you, and and get a good cut shot. So that if he gets wide, you're still scoring runs. So, so that, you know, in the back of your mind, um, if he does drop it short, I can handle it. To a degree, yeah. Um, and once yeah. you're not, if you if you've gone that back of your mind, oh, I can't handle the short stuff. You, it's, you're never you're never going to get forward. You, you, it's all you're going to think think about. So that's that's something that I would do. Um, Long term, it's all about building up your pace tolerance, isn't it? But like, not too quickly. So yeah. if you do it too quickly and you're facing 99 miles an hour and you're doing all the stuff on the bowling machine, um, you got your technique's just gonna you're not gonna do anything well so it's about i always found like um like a lot of younger brothers and like a lot of younger siblings they tend to handle pace a lot better than uh, like the older counterparts because they're used to facing their older brother or their older sister or you know hanging like hanging around their older older brothers mates and that sort of stuff and and i just think naturally they'll get better so you know you can sort of build it up where you can start slow um, and then just get on the bowling machine, just get quicker and quicker, and just you'll know, and you'll just get, you'll just your confidence will get up and up. But that's probably yeah. the only way you're going to learn how to face pace is you're going to have to yeah. face pace. Definitely, you, you've just got to. And I mean, it's a bit of a cliche of be uh, comfortable being uncomfortable, but I mean, at, at proper pace, like it is uncomfortable and. That's basically yeah. All you can do is is to try and to get used to it long term. Another thing, short term, um, and this is coming from the tail ender and myself, is buy a chest guard, buy an arm guard. Like, don't be worried to to sort of have a bit more extra protection because just that feeling of like that could hit me and that could hurt versus like oh that's hit me on the chest guard and I'm and I'm actually okay can actually make a bit of a difference just in your just in your mentality when you when you're batting there. So I mean I've copped a fair few sprays for looking like a marshmallow man and the Michelin <laughs> man <laughs> just for having a chest guard on. But I mean at the end of the day like it does just help your mentality shift a little bit um, and can get that started. Because if you feel a bit safer, you're gonna be a little bit more relaxed. You're not gonna worry about it um, as much getting hit. Because that's that's what gets your, your fear going is oh if this hits me I'm actually gonna is actually really gonna hurt. Um, so I mean yeah short term buy a chesty get a good arm guard on, yeah get the right thigh pads all of that jazz get your inner thigh pads sorted. Because um, if you can yeah, add your protection up you you're gonna take that fear away a little bit as well which is probably a step in the right direction. 
Lugsy, you uh, you got any experiences against uh, some some quicker bowling that you're probably used to? Yeah, um, I think the first thing to note is obviously like no one necessarily enjoys it. Um, so I think a, a, your fair fair point there to, to fake it till you make it sort of thing, and and at least give off positive body language, because um, I tell you nothing turns a group of cricketers like into a pack of hyenas like someone someone looking a bit scared of the short nut. You'll have every fielder chirping you, <laughs> yes. um, and then suddenly the bowler's running in harder and bowling even quicker. So yeah, I was calling for a lead man. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing better than a bowler stopping at the top of his run and just yelling, "Someone go under the lid." <laughs> that's, um, that's honestly one of the worst feelings as a batsman. I think, yeah, the the clear head. Um, I think any cricketer when they say they're batting well would be would say they would probably at their most clear. Just just real focus on the ball and clear headed. And and if you're thinking I'm going to get hit or anything, then you're not going to be clear. Um, and you're thinking. Um, I think it's just, it is a hard one to face really fast bowling because that that is one of the things that's hard to hard to practice against. It's why I guess as a league spinner, Shane Warne was so good and took so many wickets because it's not like you could just face a Shane Warne in the nets. You know, yeah. it is it is really hard to face real good fast bowling. Um, so just be clear in your thinking. And, and as you've all said, you've got the bowling machines these days or if you're in the nets and the guys aren't quite as quick as what you might come across in a game, bet out to your crease a bit. Just do all the little things. I think I was actually um, got spoken to by Nathan S a little wee seminar thing as a youngster, and he actually was saying how scared he was to face the West Indies. He was a young bloke, and they were all bowling quick, and he actually got pinned a couple of times. Um, and he said it was the best thing for him. He said just knowing that it, you know, you can get pinned, but you're out in the middle, your adrenaline's up a bit, and he said it, you know, it's actually not the worst thing. You just sort of take a bruise, and and once you realise it's not actually that sore. Um, that can actually be a real f- bit of freedom for you. So just take on the challenges, as as you've said, Munta, I think. Be positive and, and see it as a challenge. And like I've sort of talked about defending, sh- like, like pace, but you can also, like, I do hate cliches, but, like, when someone says, like, oh, no, it's, it goes faster than the boundary sort of thing, um, <laughs> you, lo- you love that when it's at your head and things like that. But the, the thing is that if you do get any width, you can just throw your hands at it. Yeah. Um, for for so many reasons, because if it's quick for you, it's quick for the slip corner, and they ain't gonna they ain't gonna want to catch it. So if you throw your hands at it, there's a good chance you can either just sort of get a wee nick over the slips, or you can actually sort of punish them um, through through the covers. Because sometimes like the, the quick bowling like comes on quite nicely. Um, obviously when it's too quick, it's too quick and you you're struggling. But um, like sometimes it's harder to face slower bowling than uh, sort of quicker bowling. Um, if it's like you're talking about scoring runs and not getting hurt, it's a different story. But, um, you know, if you do, if you did take them apart for an over or two, that's one way to get rid of them. Then someone else has to bowl. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so, yeah, that's... Or you, you hole out and you're in the shed anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> if you can get a quick single, it's, they're, they're a lot easier face from the not strikers end. Yeah, get yourself yeah, best, a strike. Best place to face the quicks is at the non-strikers. That's a that's a good piece of advice. Really, really lean on that bat at the other end. Get <laughs> yeah. your gloves off. Cricket's a selfish game. I, I you got to look after number one. <laughs> as a as a nipper, I uh, I was playing against Corey Anderson, 
um, when I was about 15 and he was obviously like a man child and like at 16 he's playing for Canterbury and I was out I I think he bowled like a seven over spell and I was out there for all of it and I faced three balls That's <laughs> so, nice. so I've done I've done my job I didn't lay a bat on all three of them but I did well at not running that's what I did yeah. well at and you've kept that up ever since yeah, certainly. I did it. There was another one where we uh, we played against. We were supposed to play against. Uh, were you playing that game, Jacko? We played against Lockie Ferguson at Club Nat- Nationals. No, nah, that was the year before I came to the. Club. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, he uh, Lockie Ferguson was bowling first first change, and I was opening the batting, and I just decided to swing and everything, just so I could like get out before that. He uh, he bowled. So that worked out well. So I just got it. Was, was at the tiny number three ground at Cornwall Park as well, wasn't it? So a good excuse to be like, oh, it's tiny. I can swing for the fences. Yeah, oh, that, that was it. I mean, that was like we had like, oh, I don't know. If, the, if, we've got, if we've got Auckland listeners that have played at Cornwall Park, you'll know the number three ground. Basically, like Lockie Ferguson has, he has four slips and they're all on the boundary. Like they, It's like they had four third men. And like we've got guys nicking it through the cordon for six, sort of thing. And it was, uh, it was quite a spectacle. This was a young Lockie Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. There's a few other stories from that that, uh, that tournament for for another day, I think. Maybe for the Patreon listeners. Yeah, yeah. Or if we ever do get, uh, or, or Lockie, if you're a friend of the show, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you ever do come on, would love, I'd love to hash that out, hash that spell out. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I've got some, good, we've got some good yards from there. I think we've got even like, uh, like Robo, like our captain, uh, Tiger Vault, famously, he probably did the opposite of the botting language thing, where he famously always batted at four, and then for this one game. <laughs> Batted at five, <laughs> and promoted, <laughs> promoted a teenager to, to four. That's right out of the Stokesy camp from from that last. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I think yeah, it was a it was a young Reese Bailey. It was the Nighthawk, I think. Righto, team. That is us for another week. Thanks to our award-winning guests or co-hosts, Lugsy and Jacko, and of course, thank you to our Academy Award-winning listeners for continuing to listen to this drivel. While you are here. Chuck us a wee like, a subscribe, a rate, and a review, if you will. Helps the cause. And if you're feeling very generous, check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash maximumcricket. But in the meantime, Lugsy and Jacko, have yourself a great week. Jacko, great week at the cricket. Uh, we'll catch you next next week. Cheers, mate. See you, boys. Too easy. Cheers, mate. Get you.